Hello everybody. Uh, it's just me this week. Um, coming into Christmas, obviously. Recording this on the 19th of December. It's just gone 18.49. So we're just in the evening. Joe is um, recovering from his operation. So figured he can have the week off. And I think Barry is recovering from... I don't know. <laughs> I figured we'd give him some time off as well. Screw it. Especially since most of what I want to talk about today will be World Cup related. So, you know, we decided to take a week off. But I, I had the itch because I felt like some of the stuff that happened this week is a little bit timely and if we didn't do it this week and if we do at all any kind of christmas episode it'll probably be something else it won't be a typical show um so why not just come on here talk about the uh the World Cup and, and the wrestling and I did watch a movie this week so I can talk about that as well briefly and just have something something for you to listen to even if it's just a solo show and a shorter show which it probably will end up being so let's talk about the World Cup final one of the maddest um matches I think I've ever watched ever had the, the pleasure of watching um, as someone I don't know if you could pick that up someone outside blows their nose very loudly <laughs> but yeah wow what a what a World Cup final it was Argentina against France um, hell of a match Argentina winning 4-2 on penalties after a 3-all draw uh, Lionel Messi confirmed as the all-time GOAT. Um, Penaldo confirmed. Ronaldo confirmed COD. Uh, nice to be able to finally put a pin in that long-running um, discussion. Very, very happy about that. Um, I've obviously lived in France for a little bit of my life. Um, what Just under... 10%, maybe 8% of my life uh, spent living in the five-cornered country that is uh, France, five-sided, the Pentagon, as it's known colloquially over there. Um, and in fact, the last World Cup, the 2018 World Cup, I did support France. I wore at a, I had a France jersey, which I bought off a spurious... Chinese website with Pogba number six emblazoned on the back. He was, of course, a Manchester United player at the time. Uh, that jersey has since gone in the bin. Uh, no, no, not the bin. I think I did. I throw it away this one because usually what I'll do with a jersey is I will give it to uh, the the charity shop. But I think what happened with the France one is because it was not an official one it was purchased off a dodgy website the um the printing and stuff started to peel off it quite badly 
So it was kind of, it was really kind of worthless. I think it got thrown out. But um, this time, as I think I mentioned before, um, we did a draw and I got Belgium. Belgium was my team of choice. Um, and unfortunately, as you, as you know by now, Belgium were quickly eliminated from the tournament. They didn't even get out of the group stages. Very, very embarrassing. Um, but yeah, we, 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 we had quite a fun little World Cup. Some some upsets, definitely some upsets along the way. We had a very, very good um, quarterfinal, I guess it was. Argentina, Netherlands. Um, very, very entertaining. I didn't think that there would be any match that would kind of meet the um, fun of, of that one. Um, but then we come to Sunday night, Argentina, France. Um, Messi and Loris, the captains, each with a chance of achieving history, right? Messi, um, the greatest player of all time, arguably. Winner of multiple Ballon d'Ors. Um, winner of multiple other trophies, Champions Leagues, La Ligas, uh, Ligue 1. As if that really, that, that, probably one of his least important ones. He got down the toilet, probably propping up. Uh, got loo rolls around it, maybe. Um, but um, never won the World Cup. So can he finally do it? Can he, in, in what's potentially his last ever World Cup appearance, can he finally bring the big one home and cement his legacy as the world's all-time best footballer? Or can Hugo Lloris win? Uh, two World Cups in a row, captain France, two consecutive World Cups. Um, I think he would be the first, the first captain to ever do that. I don't think France would be the first team necessarily to ever do that. But I think that's been done before. I think Uruguay won the first two, didn't they? And then Brazil uh, in the late fifties, sixties. But anyway, match starts. Uh, teams pretty much as you expect. Uh, a lot of the French players who had been ill in the build-up were back in the squad. Um, Deschamps has come out and said that that, that that didn't impact their performance but you wouldn't be, have been able to tell the first 70-75 minutes France were really really poor um, languid tired fatigued, unable to string two passes together um, continuously giving the ball away um, really high up the pitch like not not high up in the Argentinian side but their own uh, side of the pitch they'd often give it away leading to multiple Argentinian breaks um, eventually uh, there was this there was a specific play that Argentina kept doing because they were having a lot a lot of success with it which is what they would pick the ball up maybe a third of the way into the French half usually it was messy doing this but they would pick up the ball about a third way into French half and just whip a looping ball over to the left corner which is where Angel Di Maria would typically pick it up and torment the French defence and in this case he did and unfortunately for France the player who was um, picking him up here was not their typical right back um, Hernandez who had a, anyway a terrible game himself but it was Usman Dembele and uh, yeah Dembele, who's been having a very good World Cup himself, was made to look very foolish by Di Maria, who uh, turned him, very similar to how Messi did in the Croatia game, to uh, Gvardiol, 
turned him inside out, went past him like he wasn't there. Dembele brings him down. Somewhat soft penalty, but, you know, there was contact, so it wasn't going to get overturned. And Messi slams the penalty home and, unfortunately, didn't give a great celebration. Not one of the, the iconic celebrations that you might expect from this uh, moment. Um, this is my, my my nitpick, like I do at AEW. This would be my World Cup nitpick, is that I would have said to Messi before the game, listen, Leo, you're, you're probably going to have a chance during this game to score a historic goal that'll go down in football lore. So let's maybe just have a, you know, a lovely, satisfying slide on the knees or you know something that you know they they can put on the newspaper uh front pages but um you know he just kind of ran a little bit and then lay down and i was like oh that was a little bit a little bit dissatisfying anyway uh then we had a, ooh what a superb goal um flea flea a flea came onto the pitch and uh inspired this free flowing argentinian move where France again lose the ball around the halfway line. A couple of one touch passes, bish bash bosh. Suddenly, Alexis McAllister is running down the center of the pitch on his own. Uh, France's right back comes across to cover him, leaving that flank of the pitch entirely free for McAllister to play in uh, Di Maria for his uh, his goal. A very well taken goal. Didn't um, chip it over the keeper. Kind of played it into the ground for it to bounce over the keeper almost like skimming a stone across water's surface but it went in anyway um 2-0 to Argentina France at this stage still hadn't had a shot on goal I believe um and it looked like for the entirety of the first half and much of the second half as if France were not gonna have any kind of retort uh, and Argentina were just gonna sail to a 2-0 win, if not a 3. I, I remember saying a 2-0, that if there was another goal in this game, I, I fancy Argentina getting it. Uh, Argentina would go on to get another goal, but not a, not until France had stuck it in a couple of their own. Um, so yeah, we, we, we arrive at the 70th minute, the 75th minute. It's still 2-0 to Argentina. France still are really struggling to get a foothold into the game. Um, Argentina have maybe slowed down the pace a little bit. They're not attacking quite as viciously as they had been. And then out of nowhere, um, France get a, a shot from a kind of hopeful shot from outside the box. Uh, gets blocked. Ball gets played away, and so oh wait a minute, there's a penalty being given. Uh, a handball by um, Argentina's Argentina's number four. Uh, and to be fair, his arm was up. He was away from the body. There was no overturning that one. Mbappe with a much more forceful, definitive penalty than Messi's earlier makes it two one. Oh man, that you know when you have a game that's so one sided and the other team scores it, when you do think, oh, that makes it more interesting, but you don't sometimes really think that the other team is like. I still hadn't fully in my head, Argentina going to win this. <laughs> France haven't hoped. They've been so bad. And as this thought is passing through my mind, literally as the thought is happening, um, Rabio plays a ball into the into the mixer, a hopeful ball. There's a little one-two done with Mbappe, and um, 
suddenly Mbappe is, is scoring a second goal for France. And suddenly France looked like the team most likely to go on and win. Um, yeah, such it was like in, I don't remember which Ron's, Ron versus Smackdown game it was, but that they introduced the concept of like momentum shifts where if you were on the, whatever way they did it, like you were on the low stamina and your opponent was on high, that there was a, like a button combination you could push that would switch the momentum and suddenly you're on the comeback. Um, this is very much the football representation of that. Um, France are suddenly on all guns blazing. Argentina, understandably, their their confidence is completely shot. They're looking at each other. They're looking around like, what do we do now? Um, unfortunately, we didn't get, we did, they did not get a fifth goal in normal time. There was quite a few good chances. We come to extra time. Um, Messi gets a goal from a, a bit of a scramble, just cleared, first saved by Loris, and then attempted to be cleared off the line by Kunde, but unfortunately it was just behind the line already, so it counted. Uh, there was a bit of confusion watching there. Apparently in stadium it was pretty clear that it was a goal. And then we get another penalty um, for France. Um, struggling now to remember. Was this the hand? No, wait a minute. Was this the handball one, the third one? Maybe I've got the sequence out of order in my head. What was the other, what was the other penalty then? <laughs> what was the other French penalty? Was the hand... No, the handball might have been the 3 all one. But now I'm struggling to remember what the other penalty would have been given for. Was there a foul? On somebody? Oh, my goodness. Anyway. Mbappe scores again. Makes it 3 all. I think I think the handball might have been for the third one. I, 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 I truly don't remember what, what other incident happened here. My brain was too overwhelmed with all the happenings in this match to correctly store all the information of what actually happened. I don't remember there being a foul on a French player leading to a penalty, but I'm sure there probably was. Um, hmm, curious. My mind has just to totally eliminated that from uh, from happening, from history. Uh, and then there was a huge chance for, uh, is it Colo Muani, the number 12 for France, gets like basically clean through in, uh, in injury time. Uh, of extra time great save by Martinez ball comes back out then France or then Argentina have a great chance Lautaro Martinez who's had an absolutely dreadful tournament with a, a chance to head them into uh, the win somehow manages to head the ball back towards the corner flag rather than at the goal from six yards out um, and we go to penalties and, and Argentina um, win there obviously although one thing that left a, a poor taste in my mouth was um, Emmy Martinez and his uh, his shenanigans. He's, he's definitely from the shithouse school of goalkeeping. And we saw that earlier in the tournament already in the Netherlands match. But here, you know, like in a World Cup final for the goalkeeper of one of the teams to be booked for, I guess you'd say, unsportsmanlike behavior is, is a little bit, a little bit over the top, isn't it? I mean, understandably, it's about winning and you know, these Argentinian players who have now won the World Cup are not going to think back with embarrassment about the fact that Emmy Martinez was being a little bit of a, a little bit of a twat and, and got booked, you know, like ultimately they won, they, they don't care. But watching it as a, as a neutral, as I was, I did feel a little bit of embarrassment uh, for, for, for his country on his behalf. Um, and, and more so later on, which we'll get to. Um, 
but yeah, he was he was acting the arse. He was uh, throwing the rolling the ball away and wasting time, basically, just being being a dick. Anyway, saves one of the penalties, which Loris was unable to do. Uh, Chua Mendy sticks one wide as well. Um, and Argentina win, and what a great what a great story. And Messi has won the World Cup, as we said. He's the greatest of all time. He goes to, to, to finally hold up the World Cup. Uh, Infantino, the, the FIFA president, is, is holding on to it a, a weirdly long amount of time. He won't hand it over. Um, the, the Emir of uh, Qatar... Wants Messi to wear this sexy negligee thing, um, <laughs> which uh, you know I think was a bit weird. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I saw a lot of outrage. For, well, he's what's this? He's he's putting he's putting clothes on Messi and da da da. I was like, well, I, I'm sure you know the intention was good. I'm sure the intention wasn't let's let's do some more Qatar sports washing here let's let's you know as has been evident throughout the tournament but in this case i think it was it probably was uh like look this is a thing in our culture that is is appropriate that we give to the victor you know and and i don't think there was any real malice towards that so i don't i don't really have a problem with that um and oh baby do i not care about religions so don't even pick me up on that one um and Messi wins the World Cup and everyone's happy. Um, another award that was given out, though, was the Golden Glove Award, which was won, oddly, by Argentina's Emmy Martinez, who I don't, I don't think was the best keeper in the World Cup. Admittedly, victor of two penalty shootouts, but um, if they were doing it, um, calculating uh, goals conceded by minutes played, I don't know if he necessarily would have actually been the best keeper by that definition anyway he wins the uh the award and again i've said this is a man who you know acts irrationally this is a man who doesn't clearly take into account of how he's being perceived uh, by a worldwide audience and he he accepts the trophy and then he <laughs> I struggled to describe what he then did with it. He kind of said, Do what if the trophy was your dick? In like a real, like, sophomoric, you might see a 15 year old do that and, and ch- you know, chuckle if you yourself were 15. But Emmy Martinez is like, What age? Is he in his like late 20s, maybe? Um. Anyway, he does the look at this. This is, this is my cock. Uh, and and does a funny face, which he also did uh, with the Golden Glove Award at the Cup of America, which makes it all the weirder. Um, but here he's done it on a global s- stage with the world, literally the world watching. And again, I just felt a lot of secondhand embarrassment for him and his family. <laughs> and again, they won't care. They won the World Cup. Happy as Larry, the lot of them, I'm sure. But like, God, what a fucking oddball to be doing that at that specific time what an absolute weirdo the kind of person i would cross the street to avoid anyway um so that was basically your world cup um recap Uh, a very very exciting match uh end-to-end stuff lots and lots of chances as a neutral watching it was thoroughly exciting thoroughly entertaining we got in the end what I would consider the right result, which was the Argentina win. 
So even though France um, made a hell of a game of it, you know, I was always hoping Argentina would win. So even even better for the fact that we got a great game, or at least a great 45 minutes, um, and, and kind of a, a turgid um, 70 minutes or so before that, uh, notwithstanding the fact that we wanted Messi to win. So it was still good from that point of view. Um, and then, yeah, the last thing to mention is just uh, Mbappe then became the second player in history to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Um, and the first to ever do it and not win the, the competition. So there's a little bit of history there. It was a little bit sad when they brought the uh, the individual player awards um, up for their photo op. And you had, you know, best young player was Enzo Fernandez, player of the tournament, Lionel Messi, Golden Gloves, again, Emmy Martinez and his his, uh, his his penis trophy. And then, um, and thank God he didn't do that with the World Cup trophy, by the way, which arguably you could you could say looks more like a penis. Um, I haven't seen any photos of him holding the World Cup trophy um, to his groin. Um, thank Christ. And then you had little um, Mbappe, golden boot, and he had to stand with the, the winners while he uh, he held his, onto his... Um, his his meaningless trophy, um, and surely he'll go on anyway to be the 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 all time most scoringest World Cup player in history because he's on twelve already through two World Cups. He's only twenty three. The all time record's sixteen. He'll probably break in the next World Cup. All things going well, but yeah, very very fun match, um, especially for a World Cup final given how um poor those tend to be. Uh, in fact, it was like, certainly the best one I've ever watched and probably the best one since, if I go back in my mind in history, France-Croatia wasn't great. A bit weird with uh, like keeper mistakes and dodgy penalties, but not a pretty one-sided match. 2014, Argentina. Germany was a little bit boring. Goethe got the goal then at the end. Um, 2010 was, was spain Netherlands was it? another kind of yeah. Italy France twenty thousand six two nil with the Zidane headbutt yeah maybe maybe it was the 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 most enjoyable one since then um yeah I struggle to really name too many other exciting ones that I've actually had the pleasure to sit and watch but this was a proper blood and guts uh game and it was very very fun to watch once it eventually get once France woke up and it started going. Very, very fun. Um, so that's World Cup guff. Uh, we'll move on to movie guff. Just the one movie. Oh, no, not guff. We don't do guff anymore. But uh, I did watch a movie anyway. Uh, on Disney+. Plus. So if you're interested in this, you can go watch it yourself. I don't know in the US if it's on a different service. If it's on Hulu or something. But over here, it's on Disney+. Plus. It is uh, See How They Run. Um, starring Sears Rowan and Sam Rockwell um, and Adrian Brody and it's uh, it's it's a whodunit which I absolutely love I love a, a good mystery I love a good Agatha Christie um, adaptation Murder on the Orange Express uh, Death on the Nile is probably, probably my least favourite one uh, Evil Under the Sea or Under, <laughs> under the Sea Little Mermaid adaptation Evil Under the Sun a uh, little underrated gem there if you do get a chance to check out 
uh, Poirot and Evil Under the Sun, I, I would recommend. It's a very, very fun watch. Um, Knives Out, I love, obviously, and the sequel is out in a couple of days, which I'm also really looking forward to, starring uh, Dave Batista. Um, but then we come to see how they run, which is uh, who done it, as I mentioned. Uh, a, a bit of a meta who done it because the setting of this, the movie is actually in and around uh, a staging of Agatha Christie's The Mouse Trap. And now I've never seen The Mouse Trap, so I'm sure I missed a lot of the allusions to the original. And it's not. I don't think it's, it is itself necessarily an adaptation of the mousetrap, but the plot is certainly intertwined with that of the mousetrap and kind of um, parallels. It seems to parallel a lot of the stuff that happens in in the mousetrap, but I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment on that. But it is. Uh, it is. It is a little bit meta. It's a little bit wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the camera. It's quirky. You might have seen um, a lot of people liken it to a Wes Anderson movie. It really isn't, um, in my opinion. It, it's got a certain level of quirkiness, which which Anderson's films are also undeniably quirky. But I, I don't think it's even necessarily the same kind of quirkiness. Um, visually, it certainly is nothing like Wes Anderson. If anything, visually, it's closer to a Knives Out. Or like a more standard-looking f- uh, film, the 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 direction I think might have been one of the weaker, really the weaker aspects of it. There was kind of not much um, good visual um, trademark <laughs> happening. And I think that this was this director's is his name Tom George. I might be wrong on that. Uh, it's like his d- directorial debut, which fair enough. But like the only real visual quirks that that happen throughout is that it uses this like split screen throughout the movie so you have one scene with like two people talking and then suddenly the 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 um letterboxed whatever ratio of the film will like narrow and you'll get the two sides on screen at once side by side so imagine if you take a 16 9 image and copy paste another 16 9 image right next to it but keeping it on a screen of the same size so you have a much narrower image Really ugly, didn't add much to the story, just kind of annoying every time they did it. Uh, it seemed like style for the sake of style, and I don't think it was a, a positive um, choice. Um, the plot itself, I found a little bit ponderous at times, which is weird, because the, 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 the pace of the film itself is relatively quick. But I found like that they drew kind of drip feed you information throughout. Um, for a film that's only an hour forty as well, I don't know if there was enough meat on the bones. Ironically, since Knives Out Two is called Glass Onion, uh, see how they run isn't so much an onion as a quirky pancake. Um, they really did didn't lay on the red herrings thick enough. There's one big red herring throughout, um, but they didn't really drip feed you enough clues or, or they, they did drip feed you but they didn't give you enough clues or enough motives for the other characters to truly feel like they might have been involved um, so I found it a little bit flat in that aspect and really the, the, the reveal and the ending I, I wasn't really that satisfied with uh, I think Sir Sharon's very good in it, I think Sam Rockwell is good in it too um, 
but overall as a whodunit and even as a quirky semi-comedy uh, slash mystery. I, f- I felt it was a little bit flat. I, I, I wasn't massively into it. Um, and like I said, I thought the direction was pretty poor. I thought some of the choices, some of the visual choices were pretty poor. The film itself isn't a standout, great-looking movie. It's it's pretty average, I would say. And certainly nothing approaching anything that Wes Anderson has ever made. <laughs> so, and that's coming from a big Wes Anderson fan. Don't go into it with the hopes of having been uh, it having been likened to his stuff because it, it really isn't. It really is nothing like Wes Anderson. Uh, like I said, apart from it's a bit quirky. And Saoirse Ronan is in it, and Adrian Brody is in it, and obviously they've been in a lot of Anderson's movies. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't give it a very strong recommendation. I'm kind of in the middle on it. I think I gave it a two and a half on the letterboxd.coms. So I don't know. if it, It's on Disney+. Plus. It's pretty short. It's readily accessible. If you're in the mood, give it a watch. If not, you're, you're not missing a huge amount. Right. Um, let's have a look at the Dynamite and Rampage for this week. Uh, I just saw a headline here. Former WWE wrestler Jack Gallagher TKO'd in pro MMA debut. That's quite funny. Um, right. Let us have a look then at the TV. Um, one thing I forgot to mention last week, by the way, when we were talking about um, MJF's promo with Ricky Starks. Uh, I had a nitpick I forgot to mention. Now, as we said, don't worry, don't worry. The, the segment was perfect. The segment was perfect. We're not nitpicking anything anyone said, anything anyone did, the pacing of the segment, the the fact that MJF's side of the segment was somewhat reserved to allow Starks to stand out and be the focal point of the segment. That stuff was all perfect. Don't worry about that. I'm not contradicting anything we said. It was a perfect segment. But for some reason, watch it back. MJF shaved his beard off for that one week and his his head looked a weird shape. And I don't know why he did. And then come Dynamite, winter is uh, coming this week. His beard had grown back in and it looked normal again. Uh, but yeah, for, for that one week, I noticed when I was watching and I meant to say it on the, uh, on the podcast and I forgot. He shaved off his beard. It's not a good look. Actually, it's not a bad look, but because, you know, you're unused to it, you recoil in, like, terror, right? Now he's got the beard back. Very good. Um, a little bit concerned about his hairline. I'm, you know, coming from a person who is of similar uh, recession. Don't worry about it. MJF happens to all of us. But uh, he might want to start combing that middle bit over to one of the sides to, to get a little bit more uh, coverage there because that forehead is starting to... Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm looking at Ricky Stark's forehead on this on this uh, Winter is Coming picture and his forehead's pretty big as well. Um, AEW might be turning into just a, a company of big foreheaded men. But yeah, happy to see that we came to Winter's Coming and MJF's beard had grown back in because I think since he's been in AEW, he's always had that little... Um, beard he never has the mustache part maybe he can't grow it in but he always has the little sides and the underneath except last week when he had it shaved off what was that anyway let's come to uh winter is coming opened up with uh the trios champions 
uh, Death Triangle against the Elite in the fourth um, match in their series. This was another very good match. Uh, I like that they're keeping the story of the match different every time so it doesn't feel uh, redundant or like they're just repeating the same steps. Here you had the angle of uh, Nick Jackson injuring his ankle early on um, and being taken to the back and then coming out as the uh, the Terry Funk style return, albeit he didn't have an eye patch on or uh, with a flaming branding iron. Um, he did come out though, ran wild for a little while with lariats um, and then as he went for a super kick, it was blocked and while Pef well, Pack was distracting the referee. Penta hit him in the ankle with the hammer. Phoenix put him in the knee bar, and that was that. Very, very good match. Omega then um, challenged them that the next match would be a no DQ. They later announced in the show that the next match would be a no DQ. Uh, the sixth match would be a false count anywhere, and the sixth match would be a ladder match if it should get to that stage, which it 100% will. Uh, now, the fact that it's 3 1 as well. <laughs> is a little bit um, curious. I, I I think I would have probably had it go to all just to keep a little bit of intrigue because I, I think it's pretty clear now. Maybe they won't. Maybe they won't do it this way. Maybe they'll, you know, truly do something unique where a best of seven series doesn't go to the seventh match and we don't get the ladder match, which we're all salivating at. Um, but... It feels like now we know that the NoDQ match and False Count Anywhere matches will both be won by the Elite. There's not much uh, intrigue there, it feels like, based on how wrestling has conditioned us to to follow these things. And that's why when you do a best of seven series or you do a best of five series or an Iron Man match or whatever, any match or any series where there's a counting element to it like this, that's where it's good for you. And maybe, maybe this will be the example of this, but that's where it's good for you to establish... Uh, that it can end on the fifth or sixth match, you know. Um, I think that'd be really interesting. I mean, uh, admittedly, we wouldn't get uh, a, a, what's sure to be a, a crazy six-man ladder match, but I think with these things, yeah, you 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 sometimes do have to establish that a, a best of seven series will not necessarily go the full seven. Uh, it's a little bit like you know, a boxer can't always punch to the head. You gotta you gotta punch to the body sometimes so that they bring their hands down to block the body shots and then you hit them in the head. So you gotta keep switching it up. Um, whereas I feel like every best of series that I've watched has gone the full gamut. So that'd be interesting if they actually don't go the full seven. I feel like they probably will. Um, what do we have then? The acclaimed were attacked by our favorite team of Jay Lethal and. Uh, the Goon Squad with Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Caster got a guitar over the head. And Jarrett said, scissor this, slap nuts. Which was quite funny, uh, admittedly. Uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry uh, defeated Brian Cage. I like this Jack Perry. And uh, <laughs> a lovely big yawn. I'm not even going to edit that out. Um Jungle, uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry and his uh, his conquest through the land of the giants. Um, what was the story before someone was doing a similar thing? Land of the giants type storytelling. What was that? Oh dear, I don't remember. I don't remember what it was. I know someone's done something like this before. 
Um, yes, they had a big old, big old match. Um, and uh, Jungle Boy won anyway with a roll up uh, after after a very nice uh, destroyer, which was which was very cool. Which um, we also had a destroyer then on Rampage. Anyway, uh, Jack Perry got on the mic. He said, "A full gear. He beat Luchasaurus tonight. He beat Brian Cage, and he wants the, the biggest bitch of them all, uh, the newly coined Big Bill." Who still should they should say Bill Big Bill Morrissey has a better ring to it than just Big Bill. Um Stokely Halloway came out. Surely the biggest disappointment in uh AW since his debut. Uh, I do not get the uh the years of hype that were behind this guy in uh, in NXT. Um not working for me in AW at all, I'm sorry to say. But he came out and uh Big Bill and Liam Moriarty put a beat down on, on Jack Perry, big old choke slam, they were rocking and rolling. And um, then Hook's music played. Ooh, big old crowd pop. Hook, Hook comes out. I don't know. It's not Hook's first appearance on Dynamite. First proper Dynamite appearance. Um, He came out and made the save. So it's great now. We seem to be getting Hook finally into some actual, some actual meaty content here. Because Hook, for the longest time, for a year now, a year since his debut, has been... Um, kind of doing his own his own thing of beating up geeks i know he did the action bronson thing and the hook housing briefly but this seems like the first first uh, storyline of substance that he might be getting involved in um the firm as well i feel like we we need to do something with the firm either reduce the numbers down to just like focus on just big bill lee moriarty and maybe the ass boys, but like having having eight people in this group that no one cares about is uh, is not working. They need to they need to figure that out quickly. Um, how's the black defeated the factory? I, I was kind of hoping we we're going to have more of a match than we had here, but whatever. Um, let's get the house of black doing something quick. Uh, we don't we the fact that they're back needs to be capitalized on. They they don't need to be doing. Or or stuck in the same holding pattern they were when, you know, Buddy Matthews and Malachi Black kind of disappeared off TV. Let's get them in a proper feud with best friends or someone like. like a, let's let's do something here rather than just they do. They they're on a, a vignette once every two weeks where they talk mumbo jumbo and then they have a match that goes thirty seconds where they win. Like let's get these guys wrestling. These guys are three of them are tremendous so let's fucking do something with them and do less with Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal okay uh, actually oh, then we get to action Andretti and Chris Jericho um, what a lot of fun this was uh, so action Andretti uh, the, the the jobber of the titular chants that the crowd were were going through uh, let's go jobber etc etc uh, he looked good this the the story here was that this was a tune up match for Jericho after he losing the, the Ring of Honor title to Claudio, um, and uh, obviously everyone, you, you, I'm sure you've seen the, the the big news, the result that um, Andretti beat him clean. <gasps> wow, yawning on the podcast. I apologize. Um. I tell you what, from from the point of view of it being a match where 
Jericho gets beat clean by a, a nobody again in the sense of a, a one two three kid, uh, etc. Um, there's a few things about it that I really like, which is that f- number one, I like that Andretti was an unknown. I know he's been on Dark once or twice, but to the general audience, he's uh, an unknown as opposed to somebody who's been on a number of times and just loses every time. Because then you have, I think there's a difference between a debut. Uh, an unknown of a debut who beats someone like a Jericho versus someone who's already established as a lower card geek beating Jericho because sometimes it's, it's despite the result it's, it's not as easy to get to get the stink of uh, being a geek off you so this guy didn't come in necessarily with that stink uh, the crowd were totally into him um, uh, because of I think the the idea that Jericho was so going to beat him the crowd kind of got behind it as the match didn't end after three minutes. It kept going. The crowd kind of got more and more into it. Uh, it was unfortunate that it seemed like the uh, the big spot leading into the pin, which was some like a tilt-a-whirl DDT of kinds, didn't look like it went super smoothly. And also the running, standing, shooting star as a finish. It, it's, it's rare that you'll see a running, shooting star. Uh, look anyway impactful and I really didn't hear I was uh, more so than you know being surprised that Jericho was beaten clean by action Andretti I was surprised that that was the finish they went with I would have gone with something a little bit more something that looked like it would result in Jericho being beaten as opposed to a very very light DDT followed by a very very light shooting start that was a little bit of a disappointment but the match itself was very good um Ruby, 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 Ruby Soho defeated Tay Mello, who I gotta, I gotta say about Tay Mello, uh, on both of these shows, uh, fine wrestler, fine wrestler, very, very poor performer from a, an acting perspective, she has one face she does, uh, which she did multiple times on Dynamite here and on Rampage during the Moxie Guevara match, which is that she opens her eyes as wide as they go, and she opens her mouth as wide as it goes, and that's it. She does. She'll do that ten times in a match. Um, she she she's like the Rock. She's not got a lot of variety to her performance. She she's got like two faces. She does, and that's it. Um, but this match here, Ruby and and, and Time Out, you know, it it was good. Good to see Ruby get the win. I want to see Ruby get a little bit of a push ski here. Uh, she won with Destination Unknown, which is a kind of a, a Sister Abigail or, or uh, End of Days type flatliner. Uh, preferred her uh, kick finish. I'm not sure why they changed that. Anyway, Anna Jay ran out afterwards and laid her out with a, a gory special. Um, uh, we had Hangman Page uh, backstage interviewed by Alex Marvez. He gave a, he gave a very good interview, but I was distracted by Eva Uno's awful acting in the background. Eva Uno was doing uh, a, a, a muted kind of mime uh, interpretation of oh, hangman, I'm so upset for you. I act sad, please. Uh, yeah, I mean, Paige was very good here, but let's in in the fight TV thing. Let's go in and, and digitally uh, take Uno out if we can, just you know, blur him into the background there. Um, and then the main event, Starks and MJF, a very very good. Uh, very very good main event obviously not to the level of the uh, the promo which preceded it from last week but it was very very good MGF with the uh, 
with the low blow. Uh, roll up Starks for the win. A little bit of a a cheap ending, but it's MJF, so it's in line with the character. I will say one thing that I, that, that was a bit distracting throughout was they, they had, I think, two times Starks would go for like a powerbomb on MJF, or at least it looked like he was trying to get up for a powerbomb, and he just couldn't lift him up. MJF would kind of fall back down into like a Styles Clash position. Uh, a little bit weird. I don't know if Jim Ross might say to Rick Stark's kid, you got to get some some meat in the chest there, uh, quite frankly. Um, seemed like, yeah, he's struggling to get MJF up for those moves uh, uh, a couple of times. The match itself was good. Uh, the post-match was, was even better, where MJF went up the ramp, Danielson came out. Um, this was this was definitely not the same Brian Danielson who who showed up that one week to defend William Regal to, uh, to um, Moxley, dressed as like a a hipster bin man, I think we said. Um, <laughs> this was this was serious. Uh, kick your head in, Dinosaur. He chased them. MJF tried to hop the barricade, um, much like uh, you know, as a kid when he used to do the high jump, and you would just kind of try and jump over it as if you were jumping a hurdle. Uh, and he went straight through it, which is very funny, and ran up, ran up uh, into the crowd. Um, so yeah, quite a good, quite a good dynamite, I would say. I don't think um, I think from winter is coming you need to have a bit more almost like a faux pay-per-view feel to it. I feel like this was probably the weakest winter is coming in that aspect. Not that the show was weak, but like this felt more like a typical dynamite than I would normally associate with a winter is coming. Especially I'm looking again at kind of the, the image here, the promotional image, and you have, you know, MGF Starks, Soho Mellow, Death Triangle, The Elite, and then House of Black in action. Okay, we, we gotta have a little bit more than like. Let's save the inactions for Rampage. All right, let's 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 use our, our never mind dynamite. Our winter is coming dynamite. Let's let's get some more meaty, substantial stuff on here. It's not as if we have a pay per view next week that we need to keep stuff for. You know. Um, moving over to Rampage. Uh, John Moxie, Sammy Guevara in a very good match. They did that old uh, Moxie gig in the old ear spot again. Uh, which was which was fine. Um, Moxie got the win. Yeah, I mean, look, the match was good. The match was good. I mean, I, I would say I would say the same thing about about Conte here again, or Mello, I should say. Excuse me. Uh, horrendous acting. Horrendous acting. Um, really, really poor. But the match itself was was quite good. Um, Page came out. They had another little brawl. Um, I think this uh, for 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 what was generally quite a good rampage. I'd still like to see a little bit more storyline development. Um, you know, if you really break down the script here, like what what was the advancement of doing this this match and this segment was like? Okay, well, Mox and Hangman brawled again for a little bit, but there wasn't anything new. There wasn't a, a yes and. It was just they just brawled a little bit more. If you didn't watch this, you didn't miss out on any storyline developments. Um. The Guevara Moxley match itself was built up on on Dynamite as Guevara going, uh, yeah, I know the the BCC JS thing is over, but not for me. We're still going to have a match. So this feel, felt anyway like a postscript sort of fact that you know Moxley won didn't really add anything to to what we've seen already. Um, but the match was the match was good. Um, FTR did an in ring promo where they they promised they're going to get them ass boys. Um, and that's the match will be on, on Dynamite this week. Uh, I think that'll probably be good. I know in the past I did accuse uh, the Gun Club of being a pair of no-hopers, but um, so far they are 
I would even go as far as to say they've impressed me in this in this last little run they've been on. Um, Britt Baker, DMD, defeated Sky Blue in an absolute nothing match. Um, Sheeta came out to, to build to her match with Jamie Hayter at the end. Uh, Jim Ross interviewed Press Advance in a little segment that I did enjoy. Uh, he called uh, little Brody a smart, a, a, a snot-nosed little brat and said it's time for him to grow up. I did like that. I, I'm still not entirely convinced on, on Vance's uh, potential as as a big star. I find like of all the bigger guys in, in AW, and I'll include Luchasaurus in that, I find that he's a bit a little bit of a lumbering, inflexible kind of wrestler. He, he I don't know. I've, I've never watched a match and be like, this guy can really go. He's just kind of a, I hesitate to say lumbering oaf, but he's, he, he's a lumbering, very smart man, I'm sure. Um, uh, Wardlow then was in action defeating the the most inappropriately named um, but coolest named wrestler maybe in the history of the of the biz Exodus Prime who if you if you come in to the room while I was watching Rampage and this match was on and I said to you which of these two guys do you think is called Exodus Prime uh, I guarantee you not one finger would point towards uh, anyone other than Wardlow, because <laughs> this Exodus Prime guy looked like the the most typical run of the mill bog standard um, CZW technical match wrestler. Um, whereas Wardlow, with his pecs popping and muscles, where most people don't even have muscles, that's the guy who should have a name like Exodus Prime. Uh, Wardlow then uh, proceeded to beat the shit out of him and called out Samoa Joe. Joe was up on the um, up on the big screen and said that they'll have a match, not this coming week in in uh, for for Dynamite, but the following week. So all right, fair enough. That should be uh, that should be good fun. I'm very interested in Wardlow potentially power bombing Samoa Joe. I mean that's up there with uh, the Satnam Singh power bomb we never got. Uh, if he gets Joe up for a big power bomb, and we're not doing a power bomb out of the corner. We're not doing power bomb out of the corner. You got to do a typical head between the legs, lift him up, slam him down. If we can get one of them on Joe, I'll be very, very impressed. Uh, and then in the main event, Chuck Taylor, Trent Beretta, Dustin Rhodes, and Orange Cassidy defeat Butcher and the Blade, uh, Trent Seven, and Kip Sabian, who, my God, is one of the, all around one of the worst wrestlers on the roster um, and baffling that he still was brought back and is on TV. Kip Sabian, what a, what a nothing... What a nothing wrestler. Um, yeah, this match was, this was fine. Uh, we did get a destroyer, as I mentioned. Dustin Rose loves uh, pulling out an old destroyer of a of a Friday night. Uh, funny spot where uh, Cassidy and Danhausen did the old Eddie Guerrero low blow sell. The referee threw him out. I didn't throw out Danhausen, even though he was in the ring as well. and shouldn't have been. That was a bit odd. Um, uh, and yeah, they got the win with... Uh, the orange punch and Dustin Rhodes hitting a big old bulldog on on Trent Seven, eh, fun little eight man. But um, oh my God, Kip Sabian is he's he's like a, a I don't know what his character is. He's like a an emo wizard or something. Um, and but it's not working for me, brother. I'm sorry to say his promos are absolutely hideous as well. That that uh, um, it's time for the main event promo. Oh, he's like this uh, this this little pest pestilent. Uh, Oh, so, so annoying. Can, cannot stand them. Not good at... I, I, I don't say even say not good. Not good promo. 
I think that's inarguable. In the ring, perfectly serviceable. But, like, I think he thinks his character is super cool and unique. And it ain't. I'm sorry to say. It's, he's not um, someone who, who captures my eye or intrigues me as to what he's going to be up to next. Uh, new interest in that. But, yeah, anyway, that was your Rashlin for the week. And I don't think I have anything else to cover. There was the movie. There was the World Cup. There was the wrestling. Uh, oh, video games. Yes, quickly. I did finish 100%ed Mario plus Rabbids Sparks of Hope. Would highly recommend. Tr- fantastic game. Um, very accessible uh, for the kind of game it is. The kind of turn-based, grid-based kind of strategy action game i guess it is like a hybrid of all those things but set in in a mario world um i think it's much better than kingdom battle but i think if you've not played kingdom battle i would still play that first rather than going straight to sparks of hope so you can appreciate the the improvements they made and also look kingdom battle is is a great game itself and a much shorter experience but in saying that i didn't 100% kingdom battle and i did 100% sparks of hope um the move to open world not really open world, but semi-open world. Definitely benefited the game. Lots of little hidden secrets in it. Um, I did say initially it felt a little bit too easy. Definitely in the home stretch, it gets very hard. Uh, not afraid to say that I, I definitely um, moved the old difficulty meter down uh, a peg. And even at some points, turned on the uh, you cannot take damage at all baby mode. Um because I just, you know, I wanted to experience everything in the game. So, I, you know, what I would typically do, and this was the same with um, Tunic initially, until Tunic, by the end of it, I was just like, oh, I'm only playing in baby mode now. Um, but, like, if I got to a, a specific battle or whatever, I would try it a handful of times before moving the difficulty down or, or changing any of that. So, you know, you can still try those things. If, if something is too hard, look, I'm not going to spend six hours on one, you know, battle or whatever. I got to get this game finished so I can wrap it up and put it under the tree. You know, it's ultimately not for me anyway. Um, but yeah, really, really good. Great music. Grant Kirkup, as I said, uh, of Banjo-Kazooie and Goldeneye fame involved in the music again. Really, really fantastic. Good little story, but, but you know, the playing of the game is, is the meat and potatoes, and I think it's a, an extremely good uh, gameplay game. Um, definitely the loop of going in and doing little achievements, uh, little objectives, little little battles, as I said. Very, very good. Uh, anyone with a Switch, I'd highly recommend that series, especially if you can get them on the cheap. And I imagine you probably should be able to pick up Kingdom Battle at a reduced price if you've not played it already. It's very, very good. So, yeah. Listen, we will leave it there for this week. Coming in at just under an hour. That's enough for you. Uh, i got to go anyway and get these Christmas presents wrapped. Um, I don't know what we're going to do for, for a Christmas podcast, folks. Honestly, that discussion still hasn't even happened with everything that's been going on. But we'll see. Um, maybe we'll have something special out for you if we can come up with an idea, an idea. We'll have something special out for you over the holidays for you to listen to. Um, if not, then I guess we'll be back sometime after that. I know that coming up, we have some of our favorite shows of the year. We have our awards show uh, and our predictions show. Uh, and all that fun stuff so you know the first few shows of january are always a hoot so i'm very much looking forward to them anyway that'll do for this week uh a little one hour one hour podcast in and out bish bash bosh rocking and rolling uh 
I'll talk to you again next week. Take care. And if I don't talk to you, enjoy your Christmas, enjoy your holidays, whatever you're celebrating. If you're not celebrating anything and you're working or whatever, you know, try and enjoy that as well. Look, do fucking just take it easy. Do less work than normal. I've given you the okay. Just, you know, work, but just take the foot off the accelerator a little bit. Just, you know, take a little bit easier than normal. Uh, and I will talk to you uh, next time.